It is Saturday the 6th of June 2020. My name is Jeremy Medlin and welcome to episode 87 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice and if you're looking for financial advice I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. So we'll start off with Infratil. They released their full year results during the week for the year ended March 2020. The thing they came out and said was that they invested $2 billion throughout the financial year, which is quite a substantial amount. They said around half of that was into Vodafone, um, which, you know, was obviously the marquee acquisition for them and perhaps the whole NZX over the last year. It was quite material. A billion dollars is a lot of money. Well, it's a lot of money for anyone, but it's especially a lot of money in the NZX. <laughs> it may be go a bit unnoticed in the United States, for example. But anyway, just a bit of anecdotal on, on Vodafone. It might not mean much, but I've noticed a couple of Vodafone stores around the place that have closed down. And I imagine this was part of the strategy when they looked at the investment. They probably looked at the store network. They could probably you know, easily figure out that some stores maybe not as profitable or not as helpful as others. So the, the plan may have been to scutter some of those cash-burning stores and non-strategic stores to optimise the investment. So basically, if you get rid of those sorts of locations, then suddenly you're able to pour, pull more cash out and then the multiple, the essential multiple that you've paid for the investment has decreased, for example. So it's a traditional thing of, of creating synergies. It's what people were talking about there. Um, the other half of that billion, they've invested into its existing businesses. And you got when you've got assets like Wellington Airport and, and things like that, there's I imagine there's normally a place for cash to go. I mean, you see with Auckland Airport, for example, um, you know, they, they a, a large part of their cash flow goes to capital expenditures because there's always things that need to be done. And I remember, I've, I've said this on the podcast in the past, I remember being in Auckland Airport one time, um, not recently, mind you, obviously, and and they had the transformation of the airport on display on, on one of the one of the walls there and it was like the airport in 1940, 1960, 1980 and, and so on and the transformation that it that it's had. And that, that doesn't come from nowhere, that, that's all capital expenditure. So they described the investment in Vodafone as transformational for the company. Now they don't they don't mean transformational in terms of technology or anything like that or anything they're inventing or, or, or things like that. They mean in terms of I, I think they mean in terms of size and importance. So even now the investment represents something in the region of a third of Infratil's market cap. So it, it steps them up in the league really. I mean maybe in the future because of this they'll be able to be involved in larger deals. Infratil, they pay a dividend. I've, I've never really figured this one out. I, I don't know why they pay it. Um, I, if I was a shareholder, I'd probably rather they didn't pay it. Um, the only reason that the only reason I can think of that they that they do pay it is because it's sort of expected by the shareholders and, and people like to receive a dividend. Um, I guess the, the reason why I'd rather see them keep the money is that the company has proven that it has the ability to find super, super, suitable investments at, I can't speak today, at a reasonable frequency. So in, in some ways, you would wonder if shareholders would have been better served over the long term if they'd just retained all these earnings and, and reinvested. And if they'd done this successfully, they would be a much larger company by market cap now. So they're essentially saying that... It, we we are good invest, investors, but here have this money back to invest yourself. You know, it's not a bad thing. Everyone likes dividends, which is, I guess, the reason they pay it. But you know, 
you only want a company to pay a dividend if they can't find anything better to invest the money in. And Vodafone invested, no, not Vodafone, Infratil, see, I can't speak. Infratil invested $2 billion last year. They can clearly find stuff to invest the money in. So in some ways, retaining all those earnings would be better suited. You know, and sure, sure, in the years where they can't find anything to invest any money in or they or some cash starts building up and they can't find any use for it over the short term, in some ways, you know, at that stage, you don't mind paying a dividend out. But a regular dividend policy makes less sense in Infratil's case, in my view. Right, let's move on to Gentrack, the GTK on the NZX and the ASX. These were once like a high-flying NZX darling, and not, not that long ago, really. People sort of looked at them in the same way that they would be looking at Pushpay or other software-as-a-service companies at the moment. And in just a couple of years, the stock has gone from highs of nearly $10.50 to lows of like $0.75 cents a share or something like that. It's like a, a, a 10-bagger in reverse. I remember Peter Lynch used that saying 10-bagger in re- It's like a 10-bagger in, re- in reverse in one of his books. Admittedly, the lows of $0.75 cents were aided in a, better, a bit by the or not a bit, a lot by the COVID sell-off and the stock has since bounced back quite significantly. But basically what, what's happened here, a, a quick synopsis, so to speak, is that the company, it's different. To, it's a different type of subscription service or, or recurring revenue service than, say, a company like, I don't know, Spotify. So Spotify, they rely on like millions and millions and hundreds of millions, actually, of, of small customers. So Spotify loses one customer and it doesn't really matter, whereas you know, I think what you look out for in a company like Spotify is like large trends. So if you saw a large trend of, of customers moving away from the service to, to a different provider, you'd be concerned. But any one customer changes their, their Spotify subscription, it probably doesn't really matter. So no, it doesn't probably, it doesn't matter. So Gentrack, on the other hand, they have fewer but, but much larger customers. So therefore, your revenue per customer is higher, but you lose if you lose one or a few of these, then it has a greater impact on your revenue and, and, and growth. So nothing wrong with that. It's just a different type of business model. Um, so basically, that's what's happened, which is... Uh, I guess always the risk for the company. So the revenue growth they they've lost some customers. So the revenue growth that people were using to justify the share price has stopped, and and there's actually been a decline in revenue. So that that's what's happened with the with the stock. I think people were pricing it like it was this fast growing software subscri- subscription service that was going to the moon, and then they lost a few customers, which happens in business. You know, from time to time you lose customers, and I think the market was was not realistic about its expectations for the company. So for the six months ending March thirty first, revenue came in at just over fifty million. Um, that was compared to fifty four million for the prior period. Which you know that that's just the I guess regular ups and downs of business. It's not a end of the world type situation. But I. I, I every now and then you're going to lose customers and experience declines in revenue. So I imagine. Probably inside Gentrack itself, it's probably been business as usual. You know, it's disappointing to lose customers, but it's not the end of the world. But the the trouble comes when your stock is priced as something else, and that was for like continuous and un- uninterrupted up into the right growth. And you have this massive run up in the share price that gets well beyond any sort of you know realism for what the company can produce in, in the short term then you have a, a hiccup in the road and and that's when you see a share price slash from seven dollars fifty to seventy five cents and that's what happened in Gentrack's case um it'll be interesting to see if they can you know start growing that customer base again um or if it's going to be 
you know, a bit more of a consolidated recovery from the company. I mean, I'm using the word recovery and then saying that there's, you know, it's, it's a normal up and down of the business. And it's, it's, it sort of comes back to management and then that sort of situation to manage the shareholders' expectations. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't follow Gentrack closely enough, but what you'd like to see in, in that sort of situation is management clearly identifying the risk that losing a large customer poses to the company. And, you know, US companies do that really well as they're obliged to put the risk factors into their annual filings. I'd like to see that in New Zealand as well as, as companies spend more time listing the risk factors to the business. And that would be one of those ones that you'd identify with Gentrack as, uh, you know, if it was Spotify, you would identify like potential trend for large numbers of users to move away from Spotify, whereas Gentrack, you would identify a, a risk as being potentially losing any individual large customer. Rightio, for the second part of this episode, I'm going to go through some of the most recent questions on the NZX Stock Market Investors Facebook group. The reason is I did an episode on that, just full questions a while back, and I got a lot of good feedback from it, more feedback than what I normally get. So we can just do it again for the second part of the episode. What I'll do is I'll run through the most recent questions. I won't go through them all because obviously we'll be here all day. Um, obviously, I'll, I'll read the questions, but I won't name the people that are asking the questions, and I'll just give you my take on them. I haven't gone through the questions beforehand, so we'll just go through it and see what we come up with. I might not know the answers for, for a while, though, to be fair. Um, here we go. G'day, fellas. Just wondering if anyone could recommend a KiwiSaver provider that will dash can access your order process your order sorry on the same day when you send it my current is super life by nzx prior to this was anz both take no more than five i'm not going to say the f word there business days to process my orders well you can expect there's a time and most importantly price lag many thanks in advance so to tell you i don't know excuse me as much about KiwiSaver as what i do other investing instruments apart from the fact that i deposit some money and it goes off and gets invested um i know I'm not sure what, what the gentleman means by processing orders. Does that mean that money he's just put in there gets dispersed and invested? Or does he mean one of those ones where you can sort of take control of what it's actually investing in so you can go in there and buy Ryman Healthcare? If that's the case, I know that Craig's, I believe, has a service. They, they, they charge like a wounded bull for it, but they have a service where one can go in and buy stocks with the with your KiwiSaver money. I've never really looked into it in too much detail, um, but I, I know those services do exist. And, you know, the way sort of some brokerage companies are in New Zealand, you know, it wouldn't be surprised if some unusual KiwiSaver product that they did take a while to process it, so that wouldn't surprise me. Uh, next question is, anyone know why QEX dropped so much today? They reported they were doing well during the lockdown. Did I miss something? You may, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that question. It could be that now it's no longer the lockdown and not doing so well. I'm I'm not actually not actually sure how to answer that question to be honest. Next question is is a question about I guess the macro environment. I can see another twenty to thirty percent drop in average share prices. I think this year reason the market was up and averaged thirty percent last year has looked to drop around twenty to twenty five percent since end of February. I think there will be more carnage to come when second quarter financial reports are released. We are in a recession with 
no revenue earned by companies except a few mass unemployment due to COVID-19 low and no interest rates, negative crude oil rates and huge government, huge in capital letters, government borrowings and even some negativity to go back to work by some in the country. What are your thoughts on the macro economy as a whole and how long do you think it will take to cover? So there's a lot to unpack there. Um, anyway, there could easily be another 30% drop in the stock market. No, I could definitely imagine a scenario where that happens. Um, so I, I don't disagree with with that comment. Um, I think there will be more carnage in the, in the second quarterly financial reports are released. Yeah, of course that's true as well. There's going to be a few disastrous financial reports, at least in the short term, um, when when they are released. But I'd also comment that it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. Um, it's pretty obvious to everyone that there's going to be some not very good financial numbers released by companies. So is that a surprise to the market? Is that priced in? Probably, I would say so. Um, we're in a recession. Probably, I agree with that. With no revenue earned by companies except a few. Certainly during lockdown, that was the case. Pretty much the only business that was allowed to operate was a supermarket. Mass unemployment due to COVID-19. You know, that's not necessarily a bad thing for the stock market. Um, low and no interest rates. I would say that's a, an exceptional thing for the stock market. Um you know, you're, you're going to see, if, if we have a, a period of long-term low interest rates, which we have, and if that continues, then that that is more likely to cause an increase in 30% in the stock market than a decrease in 30% in the stock market. So I'd, I'd have to disagree with the questioner there. Negative crude oil rates, so that was obviously a short-term thing related to a supply and an, an unusual supply and demand situation. But the point is that the oil rates are low, again, is that a bad thing for for the wider market? Probably not. Obviously, it is for specifically related oil companies, and oil companies, at least overseas, do make up a large part of the indexes, so you, you could argue that that is the case. Huge government borrowings, again, this isn't necessarily bad for companies. Um, obviously, these, these borrowings are, how do I say, they're stimulus packages to stimulate the economy, so you can't necessarily say that's a bad thing for the stock market. And certainly a lot of the stimulus and low interest rates is a reason for the big jump in the stock market off the March lows. I think if that hadn't happened, then the stock market may look a lot different than what we're seeing now. And some negativity go back to work by some in the country. Yeah, um, uh, you know, I, I guess maybe not specifically that point, but there is a confidence factor, I think, involved there. Um, for some to, to go out and spend money, you know, like I know, for example, just give you an, I, I'm i spending less money than what I probably was. And if that happens on a whole, then it's it's one of those things that impacts confidence. How long do you think it will take to recover? Who knows? Um, there, I, I'm surprised so far, just anecdotally in my life, how far, how quickly a lot of businesses have bounced back. Um, although I would say that is, from what I see, incredibly uneven, and it depends a lot on the type of business you're in and even the location that you're in. A lot of it's just random luck. So that that's the question. How long do you think it will take to recover? I don't know. Um, it's 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 a it's a tough one um, because obviously, if this is only going to affect one year's financial earnings um, and everything's going to bounce straight back, then you know there, there is no reason for a, a big drop in stock prices because most of the valuation, if you look at a DCF for example, most of the valuation is taken up in the future rather than the next year. So, interesting one. Um, next question: ZEL, so Z Energies um, share purchase plan announced today. 
SPP means share purchase plan, floor at $2.75. Share purchase plan will open on Friday the 15th of May. Current market cap is $1.25 million, looking to raise $350 million with open to oversubscriptions. What are your thoughts on this if you can get in at $2.75? Also share your thoughts on what you would look out for with Z. And it's a poll with buy, don't buy, run, run for the hills. All sorts of different options there. Um, like... Obviously, they're, they're looking to raise some money. They've probably been a little bit... Oh, I don't know. Z's a tough one. Um, you know, in some ways, you, you like the business model because it's just a toll booth. Um, essentially, you know, you've, you've got to use Z. They've got the biggest network. You know, you, someone will email and say they're only using Gull or BP or whatever. But chances are a large part of the population is is using this service. There's also a, a, a lot going on with fuel prices and, and, and everything like that. And then there's the, I guess, the storm clouds and the horizon, How, whatever sort of time frame you want to put on it in terms of electric vehicles. I think what I was look, what I would be looking for with Zen Energy would be getting a good understanding and getting comfortable with management's capital allocation policies. Um, in terms of what they're, how they're going to allocate their capital going forward and if you're comfortable from that. So whether they saw themselves transitioning into like an electric future or whether they saw themselves just distributing as much cash to shareholders until it all runs out or whatever it might be. That's the sort of thing that I would be um, looking to you know, really understand. Just just scrolling down here, there's another post about the energy, so that's sort of my post there, my, my opinion there. Um Next question is, any are any of you guys into motorhomes or campervans? This might be of interest. Tourism Holdings Limited has seen its stock price jump substantially today. There seems to be optimism on the Kiwi economy op- reopening and trans-Tasman bubble being established. Is it worthwhile stock to look into, or do you think it is still premature? Would you rather steer clear of tourism-related companies for now? Keen to hear everyone's thoughts and positions on this. Um... So to go through that, are you guys into motorhomes or campervans? I guess I am. <laughs> I don't. I don't, don't. I don't have one, but you know, if you gave me one, I'd use it probably. Um, tourism holding stock price. I don't have any view on on the stock price and the jump. There seems to be some optimism in the New Zealand economy. I'd probably agree with that, and I think the the Trans Tasman bubble was probably a case of um, when, not if. Um, is it a worthwhile stock to look into? I I, I've, I used to be a holder of Tourism Holdings. Um, I personally think, and I've spoken about this in the past, that they they seem to get the... It's just frustrating for a company that is, should be close to it, but they seem to get the... You know, it's a cyclical industry, and they seem to get the, the cycle completely wrong. They, did, they seem to do a lot of their investing at the top of the cycle, um, and I didn't like a lot of their capital allocation decisions. So is it a worth a better stock to buy now than what it was I don't know the, the share price is obviously a lot cheaper um, I, I didn't like that they, they bought out a, a dividend reinvestment scheme at at that time as they're investing overseas I think they got the the cycle wrong which is which is disappointing so you'd have to feel comfortable with, with what management are, are going to do in the future Um Moving on to the next question, this is this is a good one. Can anyone explain the recent increase in Air New Zealand, in Auckland Airport and Air New Zealand? I've been tracking their recent reports, which seem to be extremely negative, and should have in fact reduced their price. And yet, it's been rocketing over the last thirty six hours. 
The only reasonable thing I can see is that the amount of shares traded for in New Zealand has more or less doubled its average trading volume over the past two days in comparison to the 24th, 25th. Not haven't checked Auckland Airport yet. I feel I should capitalise on this and sell then buy back and because I have no clue on what is actually causing this other than the speculative buying and the second and this and second the mini FOMO in March dash April bull run lasted two or three days. Thoughts? Um, obviously a lot to unpack there. Um, I guess the increases in the share prices recently is that you know it's it's, it's a bounce off a low really, isn't it? In in March, um, the, these are these are, cu- are tough companies to figure out for me at the moment. To be completely honest, um, I, I don't have any opinion, and the question is comment on the average trading volume I don't really look at that sort of stuff too much apart from sort of curiosity more than anything else um I guess the questioner's view on buying back and selling and buying back again yeah I mean if you can figure out how to do that and make money then it's a no-brainer um probably quite hard though if you're asking a question about why it's happening to figure out how to make money from it um yes their their reports are extremely negative as, as you'd expect I mean in New Zealand Basically, it's got a lot of planes that are sitting on the ground doing nothing, and Auckland Airport makes their money from people going through the airport essentially, and and you know they make their money from parking, which is people going through the airport. They make their money through planes landing, people going through the airport. They make their money for people going through the airport, and no one's going through the airport, at least not in the volumes that the airport's set up for. So that that's it's going to be some devastating financial reports coming up. But again, similar to an early question, everyone knows that. And I guess why the, the share price, one of the reasons the share price has created so dr- dramatically in March was that it was, a, it was an incredibly scary time then. You didn't really know what the future is. And I guess people were now thinking ahead where they're imagining a, a world in maybe five years' time or whatever it is, two years' time, that that situation doesn't exist anymore so they're they're pricing for the future not for the past that's the question and I think figuring out the future and and, and these sorts of companies is incredibly difficult at the moment so I don't really have a view on whether they're good or or bad investments to be honest um moving through there's a bit more sort of marketing stuff that people have posted um one question here is do you think the NZX stock market will fall below the twenty March twenty three lows again this year? Yes or no? I don't know. I'm just going to click no just for argument's sake, and more people think no than yes. So anyway, I don't, I don't know. Um, morning, everyone. Sanford, would you buy now? I've always been nervous of the share, but during lockdown, I loved its delivery, etc. Maybe a growth sector. Any thoughts? Thanks heaps. So Sanford's obviously a, a salmon provider of exports that sort of stuff um i don't know anything about its delivery during lockdown it sounds cool if they were doing delivery so that's great um maybe a growth sector i don't know if if it is a growth sector in the sense that it will grow faster than than the the sector will grow faster than gdp or anything like that but you'd expect it you know apart from maybe some environmental storm clouds on the horizon you would expect it to grow at sort of gdp maybe in other parts of the world such as china it's going to be a growth sector growing ahead of gdp um sanford you could maybe you could make the case that even though it's not a growth sector necessarily but it may be a growth company which could be what the question i mean so i, I don't know if it's a growth stock or not. actually i haven't i haven't had a look much into sanford my guess is that they wouldn't i think they're one of the oldest 
NZX listed companies. I think from way back in the in the day, I think the oldest existing one or one of the oldest existing one like Hallensteins and everything like that. So my doubt, I, w- I would doubt there would be like a growth company in the same way that Pushpay is a growth company, for example, because you know it's just an established industry. It's fish. It's you know it's that that's what I mean. Um, I would imagine that that's the sort of company that if you valued it and you found a price and it made sense to buy, it would probably be a decent investment. That would be my assumption without knowing too much. Um, what's next question? What's everyone's three NZX stocks for the short to medium term? I have Auckland Airport, Spark and Infratil. We're keen to hear everyone's thoughts. Well, I've already spoken about Infratil on the podcast today, so I don't need to go into that. And I've already spoken about Auckland Airport as well. So that, that sort of leaves spark and i don't know i don't really have any opinions on spark really um a lot of people buy it for its dividend i I don't see its dividend as great as the perception would probably be my overall feel i don't think they're a bad company obviously they're essentially a utility um with the retail network and you know i don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon i I just think that the dividend i don't think is mm, oh i won't say i I don't think the dividend is, is great as um what people necessarily say it is. Um, the next question is, just out of curiosity, how much of your trading dash investing decision is based on fundamentals and technicals, respectively? The the questioner said, me, I'm 20% fundamental and 80% technical. Um, so basically what they're asking, what he's defining there is fundamental analysis as in making an assessment of the company's value and buying based off that value. Um, and then technical analysis, he's seen making decisions based off what the price has done charted out on the screen in the past. Um, and I guess there's different layers of, of technical analysis as well. So you could be just making it based off the screen. You could be mas- making it um, based off what's a technical... A famous example of a, a technical decision would be when... Um, What's the chap's name? The famous investor, Bill Ackman. Bill Ackman was short that Herbal Life company, and there's a there's a good document documentary on this called Betting on Zero on Netflix. I'd recommend you watching it. But he was famously short the Herbal Life company, um, and Carl Icahn, someone he didn't necessarily, and this is a public position, like the whole world knew about it because he was on CNBC and all those sort of stations, just coming out talking about his short position, and basically a big bad dog called Carl Icahn walked into the room and, and saw a way of making some money. Basically, he had a, he had a bigger fishing rod, so to speak. Um, you, can, <laughs> you can figure out what I mean by fishing rod. Um, and he basically bought up large quantities of the stock, um, consulted with management, became an activist in the company, got the management buying back shares of the company, and basically technically short-squeezed Bill Ackman out of the position until Bill Ackman couldn't stand the losses. So there's that sort of technical investing where you're just making decisions not really based on the fundamentals. Um, and then there's the technical investing, which I think the question is referring to is, you know, the the stock price is going up in a trend, I'm buying with that trend, or I'm buying for a breakout, or I'm buying for a reverse, or whatever it might be. Um, 
so personally, I, I'm making fundamental decisions on my investing, but I do look at a stock chart as well. It's nice to see sort of the history of a company. You know, if a company has retained a whole heap of its earnings, what's happened to the stock price, for example? You know, why was there a big drop back here in 2008 and everything like that? So it is interesting to know, especially over the long term. I mean, short term day to day movements. Unless you're, you know, there's people that make money off those sorts of movements. You know, the same reason back in the in the day, people were standing in the trading pits, figuring out what the pit was doing and everything like that, and making money off those price movements. You can do it. I'm not one of those people that says that it's impossible or anything like that. But I would say that's a bit more of a zero sum game. So it's not something that everyone can make money from. If that makes sense. If you've got a room of a hundred people in a hole, all betting against each other, eventually someone will have 100% of the money, everyone else will have zero. So it's, it's, sort, of like, it's sort of like that, whereas I guess the, the long-term fundamental investing, it isn't necessarily a, a zero-sum game. You know, you could have bought Coca-Cola at the same time as Warren Buffett and made an awful lot of money, um, whereas, you know, the, 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 the technical trading is sort of more of a, a game of, of who beats who. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's an... That's an interesting one. Um, next question is, oh, it's a brokerage one. We haven't had one of these for a while. Hey, guys, I've bought, I'll make this the last question, actually. I'll just see I've been rambling on for 20 minutes now. Hey, guys, I've bought a few stocks in the ASX via ASB Securities. Do I need to register my tax status? On, oh, I already know. I don't know the answer to this question. Do I need to re- register my tax status, etc. on computershare.com.au? Can anyone else advise me how we handle tax? I don't have an AU taxation. Do I let them deduct a tax at source of dividends or are we exempt in AU and just pay tax in New Zealand? Any advice would be helpful. I'd say speak to an accountant. That's what I do. <coughs> I just let my accountant deal with all that sort of stuff, so I'm not going to provide any sort of um, insight there. Um, I won't make the last question. That's not a fair question to end on. This person's gone, what's people's thoughts on Green Cross Healthcare? They have an excellent PE ratio, done well in lockdown, but share price hasn't moved, given a 9% return too. I have to say, I'm interested in, in Green Cross Healthcare. Um, I'm, I'm awaiting their annual report. I think it was due out at the end of May, but they delayed it during COVID, which is a bit annoying. Um, the questioner is right. They do have an excellent PE ratio. Um, they've done well in lockdown, as you'd expect, like supermarkets, they're allowed to operate, and they do give a good dividend yield. Um there is storm clouds with with Green Cross, and one of the commenters pointed it out is the chemist warehouse is is affecting their traditional business model. So the traditional business model for for Green Cross was small local pharmacies that you can go to in your neighbourhood and pick up what you need and then leave. Whereas the chemist warehouse model is these big warehouses essentially that sell discounted goods, the same discounted goods. And I know there's more nuance to it than that, but that's essentially what they're competing against. And so there is a competitor in the market um, and countdown and everything else like that as well. So, you know, there is storm clouds there. Um, I think in that environment, they'll struggle to grow rapidly um, or grow too much at all because, you know, the, the growth has been taken by other companies. So then it's a question of can they maintain that and can they give a good return to shareholders? So my my feeling is that I'm not sure if 9% return is correct or it may be including imputation credits, but I'm pretty sure they're trading on about a 7% yield. Um, so I guess the 
concern one would have would be can they maintain their current position in the market and if they can you'll probably achieve a a satisfactory return on the stock because you'll make the dividend yield and at some point if the market believes that they can maintain their current position in the market that you will receive a a revaluation of the stock to say like a five or six percent dividend yield and you'll make a nice return on top of the dividends that you receive so that that's the way i would be thinking about green cross and obviously figuring out whether they can maintain that position is probably the the question um i I don't really know the answer to that one it's it's something I'd, i'd like to figure out for myself um so you sort of come to the end of the episode there i hope you've enjoyed this one um sorry there's no episode last week i forgot to comment on that at the start i was moving house 250 meters down the street hate moving house i'm not going to do it again for a while hopefully so thanks again for listening um send us a message on facebook or jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz my name's jeremy medlin this has been episode 87 of the stock market movers podcast for saturday the 6th of june 2020 unless i move again we'll see you all again next week